Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has five years of law enforcement analysis experience. He's a crime analyst supervisor with the Capital Regional Crime Analysis Center in Albany, New York. He is a certified crime analyst with New York State, here to talk about, among other things, the the real-time crime center in Albany. Please welcome Peter Africano. Peter, how are we doing? Good, good. How are you doing, Jason? Thanks for having me on. I am doing very well. One of the things I forgot to ask you is if you go by Pete or Peter. Either one's good. I'll take Pete. Okay. Pete. All right. It's it's interesting. It seems like more and more I get a mixture on whether folks go by the shortened term or the more formal version of names. Yeah, um, no, I definitely got a mix of both. Yeah. Uh, let it fly. All right. All right. Well, very good. And then how's the weather in New York? Is uh, All I hear about is flooding up there in New York. Yeah, that's uh, that's been the story for what seems like the last month. But it's really been like the last week, just, you know, rain, storms nonstop. So hot, humid, rain, dry. It's kind of been a, a mix of everything. But hopefully that's passing soon. Yeah. One of the I think I saw on the news, a thousand year flood they're talking about. That's Yeah, it that's... seems like something like that's coming. Oh. Man, hopefully you and yours are dry and here to talk about your contribution to the law enforcement analysis profession. So Definitely. How, how did you discover the profession? The profession, I, I think I discovered it, you know, I think similar to how other people would describe it, honestly, you know, growing up and, you know, graduating high school, going into college, I definitely knew that I wanted to, to focus my school and attention towards law enforcement and, you know, went in, went into college for a criminal justice degree. I wasn't positive, but I had some some pretty strong inclinations that I, I didn't want to go the sworn route. I wanted to find something more behind the scenes and kind of maintain more of a civilian life. So I kind of went in with that with that thought and you know as I as I got through school and was getting closer to graduation and really trying to figure out what I wanted to do I I happened to come across a few a few career opportunities that not necessarily I was you know going to be directly going for but kind of put me on to that analysis and intelligence field and you know I kind of did a little bit of homework there I had a couple you know preliminary phone calls with possible job prospects and everything and, and kind of gained a little bit of exposure as, at least as much as I could. And, you know, that kind of just brought me to graduation. And after I graduated school, I, I was lucky enough to come across a job, po- a local job posting um, in Albany, New York for a crime analyst at the Capital Region Crime Analysis Center. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't really know what I was getting into. But, (laughs) you know, the job, the interviews went well, and it sounded like something that would definitely be worth testing out and, you know, getting my feet wet. And here I am five years later. I love what I do. And, you know, I love the people I work with. So that's kind of that's kind of my story on how I fell into where I am now. Was the position that you eventually got, were there several positions that they were hiring for or just one? 
At the time, it was just one. You know, we're not necessarily the largest operation. And at the time when I was initially hired, you know, five years ago now, it was even it was even a smaller, you know, a smaller amount of staff. So at the time, it was just one opening. And um, again, you know, I, I went through a couple interviews, a couple exercises, you know, throughout the interview process, you know, as they like that candidate. So it was just one opening. I was lucky enough to get it. And, you know, as the years have gone by, we've we've expanded staff a little bit more and we've brought in a couple more bodies and kind of expanded our office a little bit. So it's definitely, you know, as everyone knows, it's a growing field and, you know, I hope it, I hope it continues that way. Yeah. So because you come in pretty cold, right? I, I yeah. often talk about on this show, get your foot in the door, whatever it is, internship, admin staff, however you need to, to do it. And in this situation, you're straight out of college and you're coming in really not knowing too many people at this position and so do you did anybody ever tell you what it was that uh, sealed the deal for you and why they chose you I mean, I definitely got a little bit of feedback on my interview and the what we call like the practical exercise that that we have candidates do. You know, I, I interviewed well and I, I didn't do too bad on the on the exercise. But kind of, you know, speaking on what you had mentioned, you know, I did I I did have a summer internship with the state police mm-hmm. on my resume from I think two summers before that, which definitely helped. And and another thing that that definitely aided in me getting my foot in that door was, was networking. You know, growing up, my parents always told me, you know oh, you got a network, you know, the more people, you know, the better. And, you know, they were right. I just, I happened to have a family friend who was a, you know, a former associate of my, my current boss and, you know, just was able to get my name out there, get the interview and, you know, so on and so forth. So definitely a couple of different things that, that helped me get that. All right. So not cold at all, like a little bit lukewarm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the right way to put it, I guess. In terms of the practical exercise there, is is it a situation where the candidates are presenting? Are they writing? What are you asking the candidates to do in the practical? It's really, it's a, it's a written exercise. You know, they're, they're given a packet of information just to demonstrate a, you know, kind of a made up criminal activity scenario. And they're asked, I think it's four or five questions. And the questions are left open-ended to allow some interpretation and, you know, allow the candidate to run with it and, you know, just really see what kind of information they're able to get back in the way that they communicate it. So it's definitely, it's a, a very beginner, you know, exercise that, you know, you don't really need any formal training or formal experience in law enforcement. It's really just to test someone's, you know, wherewithal and, and the way they interpret information and then communicate it back. So <laughs> now being in my 40s, I was like, oh, I wonder what I would do if I took that practical. I, I'd go down too many rabbit holes and make conspiracy theories. Yeah, spend a week <laughs> on it or something. When you're first walking through the doors then, you know, just to take us back through those first couple of weeks, what maybe what your expectations were, maybe what what are some things that you remember as you start this career? First few weeks were definitely very daunting and overwhelming, you know, as a, what was I at the time, as a 22-year-old or 21-year-old fresh out of college, not a lot of professional work experience. 
I definitely wasn't super prepared for what I was, you know, what kind of environment I was going into. The first few weeks were definitely a overflow of information, you know, both getting, you know, getting adapted to just in general, the law enforcement field and, you know, the, the vernacular and the, the language that goes into that as well as the, you know, the systems and the technology and everything that we have. So the first few weeks were definitely, you know, a overflow of information like that and a lot of training. So, you know, both in office and out of office training to get, you know, trained up and get, get adapted to a lot of the different tech resources that we use. But, you know, after that, it, it, you know, you really get a few months of getting brought up to speed like that. And then, you know, we always say we, we kind of give people trial by fire, you know, eventually you got to just kind of dive into it and really, really start taking the ball in your own hands and going for things. So we definitely emphasize training in, in the first few months, anytime there's a new employee. And, and that's kind of what it was for me too. So uh, that's kind of what the first few weeks and the first few months looked like. Yeah. So are you a state of New York employee? No, I'm not. I currently, I work, I'm employed through the Albany Police Department. Um, and, you know, we, in, in our crime analysis center, we, we kind of have a, a pool of different HR if, if you know what I mean, we have, you know, civilian staff, we have sworn staff all with, you know, coming from different agencies with different backgrounds and different HR. So it's definitely, it's a variety of, of people that we have in our office, but that's, that's, you know, kind of how we like it. And that's, that's what, you know, really makes us so dynamic. So, but yeah, so I, I personally work for Albany Police Department. All the analysts pretty much go through the same training in the beginning, Correct. right? Yeah. So is it, do you feel that it's difficult given the different backgrounds, given the different types of positions to get a s standards established? There's definitely some challenges and, you know, we're, we're years into that process now where I think we've been able to iron it out. And I say we, but, you know, this is really going back to people even before me that were in our office for, for many years that kind of paved the way. But we've definitely ironed out a good onboarding process. And, you know, as you're saying, you know, with different employers or different backgrounds where people are coming from, you know, that, that also means different, slightly different responsibilities or areas of focus. So there's definitely some challenges and definitely some some considerations that come with each each person but mm -hmm. we we definitely done a good job ironing out like a good onboarding process okay so then in terms of your office then what is your jurisdiction maybe area of expertise what do you what do you guys do on day to day so our office services formerly seven counties right now and you know in those seven counties there's 50 or 60 odd agencies that we are formal partners with now with that being said you know out of let's call that list of 60 you know we're not dealing with them or exposed to them on a day-to-day -day basis all 60 of them you know we definitely have a smaller list of partner agencies that you know make up a larger percentage of our work so you know we started off as you know going back a couple of years the you know we're, we're the capital region crime analysis center which includes four of our local counties being Albany, Rensselaer, Saratoga, and Schenectady County. What kind types of work are you expected to be doing? It kind of, you know, it, depending on this, you know, what staff, you know, we're referring to, we, we kind of have different responsibilities. You know, I think just like any, any kind of intelligence or analysis office or operation, you know, we have routine products or, you know, kind of like scheduled products like we refer to that 
you know, we do on a daily or a weekly or a monthly basis that, you know, kind of make up more of out more of that traditional crime analysis that I think people think of, you know, whether it's like crime series patterns that we track or, you know, tracking like more historical crime data, hotspots, things like that. You know, we, we do that traditional crime analysis and we also kind of the other side of the house that that we take care of is a um, kind of like real time crime support standpoint. So, you know, we have staff that monitor, you know, different CAD systems, different radio systems, and, you know, through all of our resources and all the data that we get from our partner agencies, we're able to, you know, in real time monitor many different agencies on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, um, the idea being that if one of our agencies has a significant incident come over the radio or, you know, if we hear a, or if we see a 911 call ticket, you know, go through dispatch and pop up on CAD, it might be something that we can, you know, in real time jump on it and try and offer some support. So that's kind of like the two sides of our, of our office on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. All right. And then on, on more of the crime analysis side, it, it, what's, what are some of the crime trends that you're seeing or what maybe even with some of the issues that, that you're seeing in the area? In general, I mean, you know, we I think we see a lot of the same um, crime trends that, you know, a lot of listeners probably see. You know, property theft is always one that we see, you know, catalytic converters or, you know, residential burglaries, things like that, commercial burglaries. In terms of, you know, kind of our area in New York State, and, you know, I, I would venture a guess that, you know, kind of throughout the country, gun violence has definitely been up a little bit. You know, the, the gun and shooting numbers are definitely up. So that's, you know, that's something that's kind of being emphasized heavily, not only in our office, but kind of throughout New York State. So that's that's definitely been one of the big focuses in the last, I'd say, like two to three years is, is kind of, you know, working that angle of things. This leads us to your analyst badge story, and this gets us more on the intelligence side of things, doing the tactical analysis. For those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is the career defining case or project that an analyst works. So for you, it's it's several different cases dealing with uh, patterns and series as you work the real time crime center. Yeah, definitely. You know, and as you mentioned, I, I wouldn't necessarily point to one specific case or, you know, one or two specific cases, but. You know, one of the more rewarding things that, you know, I, I kind of reflect back on in, in my years of being here at, at this office is, you know, being involved, directly involved, working with several different agencies for, you know, crime series patterns. There's definitely been a couple in the last few years that have been, you know, whether it's commercial burglaries or, you know, commercial robberies, being directly involved in you know, kind of working those patterns with the agencies involved. And that can mean, you know, not only tracking around those incidents and kind of keeping everyone informed from a more like traditional crime analysis standpoint, you know, part of that work is providing, you know, it might be a pattern bulletin with a map of all the incidents, direction of travel that the suspects are described as going to, incident tables to kind of, you know, formal, formally track each incident. 
you know, we would, we would provide that kind of standard work, but also being involved in some of the more tactical operations. And that might be, you know, working a suspect vehicle or, you know, tracking around suspects or suspect vehicle on city cameras, using kind of some of those more tactical resources that we have to actually work hand in hand with the, you know, investigators or detectives that are, are really trying to nail down suspect information or, you know, kind of kind of get to the bottom of those leads. So there's definitely been a few over the last few years that, you know, I've been lucky enough and, you know, other staff in our office have been lucky enough to be directly involved in, you know, working something from beginning where it was just two or three incidents that looked like they had something in common, you know, to the end of that where an arrest is made where, you know, if someone was doing commercial robberies with a firearm, that PD or, you know, the PDs involved end up making an arrest and, you know, a search of the guy's house develops a gun and, you know, clothing that he was worn during one of the robberies. So, you know, being involved in, in those different those different investigations is definitely one of the more rewarding things that, that we've been able to, or I've been able to be a part of the last few years. All right. So as you're working one of these cases, and it could be either somebody calling you up on the phone and asking for assistance, or it might be a situation either where you you see it or hear it on come over the over CAD as you're going through this. Where are some some of the pitfalls that you're trying to avoid? One of I mean, in terms of pitfalls or you know kind of tendencies that we you know definitely try and stay away from. I mean, I guess there's a few things that come to mind depending on you know how you how you approach it. But as analysts, you know, one of the challenges that we meet sometimes is depending on you know who you're working with, what agency what you know sworn personnel you're working with there are times where you can whether it's intentional or unintentionally be kind of an afterthought to as the investigation progresses you know you could be doing everything that you're supposed to be doing you know coordinating information working any possible leads things like that and you know you could provide that information back to all the agencies involved and they might take it and run with it and leave you out of the equation and you know like i said that can be intentional or it could be unintentional you know part of being an analyst is knowing your spot and knowing that you know you're a resource for law enforcement and you provide back that information and let them work their criminal investigations as they see fit. So, you know, if they take that and they run with it, then so be it. But one of the things that we do try and avoid is allowing that to happen. So, you know, just staying on top of on top of the ball and kind of following up on a on a day-to-day basis and making sure you're staying involved. You know, that's that's one of the things we emphasize. I'm always curious too with the those that work in these types of centers. You get a name, you maybe get an address, maybe you get a business or, or a vehicle, you get several bits of information, and then you have various sources in front of you. And each one of those, you could, you know, each resource, you could run several queries going through, removing layer after layer, and really get yourself going down some rabbit holes if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that balance between, OK, you, you want to dig into the data, but at the same time, you have to get information out as quickly as possible. And so uh, maybe some general thoughts on what you do to keep that balance. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point you bring up because, you know, that 
that's something that, you know, I think every analyst should be mindful of. And it's something that we, we, we kind of try and address in our office, especially with newer staff, you know, there definitely is a balance that you need to find when you are kind of in the midst of those type of that type of work, you know, just as you kind of laid out, you know, it's very easy to find yourself, you know, you're working a lead for an agency and, you know, your whole attention, you know, everything you got is, you know, trying to put, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, you know, you can definitely look up from, you know, you can be definitely digging in and look up and you just spent two hours, you know, really sifting through <laughs> like every piece of information that, you know, is really just not leading anywhere. So, I think what really helps balance that out though is really just just experience, you know. I think over over the years I have definitely been a little bit more keen to the fact of when I am, you know, I don't want to say digging too much, but when I know to kind of take a step back, really look things through again from the beginning and ask yourself, you know, like, all right, is there anything I missed because if there isn't then I didn't find anything and that's that, you know. We definitely have to know when to when to put the foot on the brake and, you know, dial it back a little bit because, you know, it, it, it's inevitable that, you know, analysts like us, we do we do find times when we're just, you know, I don't want to use the word obsessed, but you're almost obsessed in trying to find that that one piece of information that you think is out there. Yeah, I, I think fortunately, uh, many times is you never you never find out. Right. You, you never find out like how close you were, you know, you turn right. it over that one extra that lead. Or even if you do find out what the the final solution was, it's it was buried and you would have never found it anyway kind of thing. So it doesn't yeah. it doesn't it doesn't necessarily haunt you m most of the time, I, I feel. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it, it also plays to the fact, too, of, you know, and this is something that, you know, I kind of think of for analysts, but I think, you know, just in general, people can revert back to, you know, sometimes you just need to take a step back and take a break from things or you need a second set of eyes on it because, you know, a lot of times you might, you know, kind of get tunnel vision, tunnel vision on something and really just dig into it for longer than you should. And then, you know, you might have a second set of eyes come and look at what you're trying to do and they might find it in 10 minutes. So, you know, you definitely got to find that balance of, you know, knowing when to keep going and when to, you know, like I said, pump the brakes and kind of like reassess the situation. Now, are, is your center the only fusion center in the area? No, no. There's there's others throughout the state that are part of our program. You know, mm -hmm. they're strategically placed throughout the state and, you know, kind of make up our greater like crime analysis center network. But, you know, in terms of our local area, you know, our office, the Capital Region Crime Analysis Center, we're really the only fusion center in our area outside of the state police. New York State Police has a intelligence center or a fusion center positioned in Rensselaer County that, you know, obviously services mainly, you know, state police efforts. I was, who was I talking to? It was Pam Miller a couple of weeks ago, and she, she's down there in, in Texas, and she was talking about all the different fusion centers that she has at her disposal. And I was like, I don't know how y'all don't run into each other. Like, there were so <laughs> many... There were so many of them. How much yeah. redundancy is going on there? But you're not careful of who's running what and everything else. So yeah, no, um, I know what you mean. There's times when we're trying to get in touch with other states, and you know, whether it's tracking down contact information or just knowing like the right place to go to, it seems like there's some, you know, 
some states that have, you know, 10 or 12 different offices that you can call. So <laughs> from when you started here, what's there maybe an issue that your office was able to resolve during your time? You know, to be honest, one of the issues that we dealt with was really kind of dealt more with staffing and, you know, the environment of our office. We actually just recently moved to a new office back in October of last year, in October of 2022. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, we were in a, you know, I think it was roughly like a thousand square feet office space with, you know, a bunch of old cubicles. We had, I think, 17 desks that staffed like 19 full-time employees. So we had people, you know, kind of switching off desks and, you know, at some point sharing screens and, you know, kind of just jumping, jumping hoops to like make sure that we had room to have all of our staff in there. So, you know, luckily we were able to move and now we're in a much bigger space, a much nicer space that's allowed us to grow a little bit as mm -hmm. we you know, do more work and as we take on new partner agencies. So that's really one of the bigger challenges that, that we've dealt with in the last few years. Um, but in terms of actual, you know, our, our actual operations, our crime analysis work, it's really just, you know, it's, it's retaining staff and, you know, kind of developing, you know, kind of like, you know, subject matter experts is kind of, you know, like how we refer to it in our office. You know, we had we had a few years going where we um, we definitely fell into a role of you know hiring staff, training them up for a year or two and then having those staff leave for other opportunities, whether it was for more money, whether it's for, you know, relocation to a different area, you know, the list goes on. But you know, one of the things we always emphasize is, you know, trying to retain our analysts that way they can grow over the year, not only, you know, develop their, their crime analysis and their, you know, kind of tactical operations, their, their abilities, but also develop those like subject matter experts because the longer you're doing it, the, the more, you know, the local names, the local offenders, you know, you kind of get, you get a feel for local activity and, you know, what's cross jurisdictional and, and so on. So, you know, the last few years, we've definitely been stressing that. I, I just remembered uh, for our audience a programming note. I I forgot to mention in the intro that we're we are going to take your calls later in the show. We are going to play. Don't be that supervisor. So get your calls in if you have a don't be that supervisor. What's maybe an issue that you see now in the center that you're hoping you all will get it straightened out here soon? You know, I, when I hear issue, I don't know if there's really any one thing that comes to mind. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, it might just be specific to our office, but it might not be, is is really just having enough hands to juggle our day-to-day our -day operations. You know, we, you know, as I mentioned, you know, being partnered with so many different agencies and different counties, you know, we, we do take in a lot of work throughout the day. And, you know, a lot of times there's not always enough hands to really address things in as timely of a fashion as we would like to. You know, with that being said, we always get the job done and we always make sure we're, we're serving our customers, our partner agencies as, as needed. But, you know, it's definitely, at least as of, you know, currently, it's definitely a challenge right now, just making sure we have enough hands in our office and making sure that we're, you know, we're equipped to to facilitate that work as needed. Okay. How about data? Are you receiving the right data? Or are you wishing that you had certain data sets that you don't have? 
we we definitely get all the data that we need in that in that kind of that same conversation. I'd say one of the things that we one of one of the issues that we're kind of actually running into currently right now is I don't know I'm sure you're familiar kind of like the the UCR versus IBR classification for crime codes. That might be something mm-hmm. that's like you know specific to New York State. I don't know if that rings any bells for you or whatnot. But we have agencies in our area that kind of work under both. And when we're when we're trying to develop to develop tech, you know resources or systems that pool data from different agencies, you know we're running into that problem of you know data being organized in one way versus the other. So you know that's actually something where we're currently trying to troubleshoot and find a you know more long-term solution for. But in terms of data, that's that's definitely one of our our bigger concerns right now. Oh, that doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's definitely more that data coding, mm-hmm. you know, world of things that is definitely not my my area of expertise. So yeah, yeah, I guess once you. Once you get the right mapping table, I guess it'll be fine, but I'm sure yeah. it's it's never that easy, right? Yeah, right. And then you're supervising. So how do you like supervising? I enjoyed a lot. You know, I spent three years working in the office as a analyst and you know, I was lucky enough to kind of jump between a few roles that helped me strengthen my abilities in both, you know, kind of like I mentioned earlier, in both that traditional crime analysis world of, you know, hotspot mapping, you know, historical data, you know, like, you know, organizing and dealing with like larger data sets, but also working in that more tactical real-time operations side of things. So I was lucky enough to kind of like sharpen both sides of those things. And, you know, it just so happened that, you know, about two years ago now, we had a, we had a role in our office open up for a supervisor. I was lucky enough to get it. And, you know, it's definitely, it's been rewarding for the last two years. I definitely enjoy it. It definitely came with a learning curve when I first started (laughs) and it, it took some adapting and I definitely learned some things about myself and, you know, just about professional work environments and, you know, kind of that whole, that whole ballpark of things experience. And I love it. I, I always think it's a challenge when you're promoted within and one day you're a co-worker and next week you're a manager right yeah exactly yep. let's get into some advice for our listeners one of the questions i like to ask is what i call return on investment and this is a, a particular topic that an analyst can study today because five years from now it's going to be important yeah so i mean when i hear that i really i i point to kind of two specific areas or two topics that we do um, we do a lot of work with and I imagine we're going to be doing a lot more work with as the years go on the first one being a little bit more obvious but social media you know we deal with social we do we work with social media on a daily basis with it basis in a couple different ways and you know I think anyone listening or anyone you talk to will agree that, you know, social media and an online presence is only going to continue to grow as the years go on. So, you know, familiarizing yourself with, you know, those different platforms and everything that's out there and, you know, kind of just exploring, you know, whether it's different training or different exposure that you can get to all those different platforms really helps you develop, you know, kind of a wide area expertise that you can then translate into whatever, you know, an analyst or intelligence spot that you might find yourself in. And the second one being kind of like 
geotime mapping or cell phone mapping, you know, I guess it kind of plays into the same same conversation with social media. But, you know, your digital footprint is only going to continue to grow over the next few years. And, you know, for better and worse, that that's only going to allow law enforcement to do their job even better. So familiarizing yourself with the different work and the different training that goes into, you know, the the work that can go into cell phone dumps and a cell phone pinging off a tower and, mm -hmm. you know, plotting that on a map and, and, and those different things. You know, we, we do a lot of work with that now and I only see it getting more and more popular and, you know, more and more traditional. So yeah, that, that geofencing stuff's fascinating. And I think with the eventual partnership with AI. I, I mean, there is going to be some wild, wild connections being made here in the near future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So in terms of social media, have you got onto threads yet? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? That's the Facebook equivalent of Twitter. No, I haven't. See, there you go. That's a new one that I got to jump on and see what the deal is. It's yeah. Threads. Threads, yeah. So it's it's Facebook or Meta. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I even have all the different companies that are involved. Whatever it is, you know, Zuckerberg's Twitter equivalent is called Threads. And yeah, so that, that just recently came online. And so I see a lot of different companies and outlets talking about threads in the last yeah. couple of weeks See, at this point i'm so. not even surprised when new ones pop up i mean there's just so many out there now no well i mean we were just talking about it when when do you stop i mean you could have a whole real-time crime center just on social media yeah no 100 right then that's just what people are putting out there let alone when you get into forums and more private situations and oh, emails yeah. and oh, oh it yeah. is it is so much so much data a lot of noise yeah. out there oh yeah it can go deep let's talk about training a little bit i noticed on your on your resume here speaking of social media that you had a a course on is it was it the fbi that taught the open source and social media program yeah yeah and you know that's a good segue you know that's one of the trainings that that i've had the opportunity to attend that was yes it was it was offered by our local fbi office and it definitely it, it kind of it, it focused more on you know i would say the, the sworn side of open source intelligence and you know mm -hmm. in terms of what can be done with you know cell phones that are recovered during investigation or you know just kind of the general internet capabilities you know whether it's a cell phone or a computer you know etc but that that class was very informative on you know just again just different pieces of info and tidbits you pick up on you know whether it's the dark web or you know different ways that people leave digital footprints online and you know social media was definitely included in there as well hmm. what were some was there a main takeaway from that training main takeaway from that training was to do some research and change the settings on your iPhone so that <laughs> the government and law enforcement can't track every single part of your day. And I definitely, I walked out of that training and I know I specifically went on my phone and changed a couple settings. So 
Yeah, yeah, it is. It, there is. There's a lot of data on us too, right? And then how about facial recognition software? I, I saw that on your resume and that's interesting to me because I was messing around with facial recognition software oh, about 2008, 2009. So I was kind of curious where that software is at decades later. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. You know, we definitely, we use it quite a bit, or at least when it's relevant to a criminal investigation that we're working. But no, I mean, it's great. And, you know, anytime I'm explaining it to, you know, someone outside of our, our outside of our field, or, you know, even to, you know, newer people in our office, you know, it, it is exactly as it sounds. It's a platform that, you know, depending on the quality of image you have of someone's face, you know, you can throw it through that program and it's going to identify like key sets of, you know, a few key sets of someone's face and compare Mm -hmm. that to, you know, based on the system, different, you know, I guess best way to put it, like different pools of data of Mm -hmm. images, whether it's booking photos or whatnot. And, you know, there's definitely some analytical training that anyone should should have or should need to use that system because you know it definitely does not finish searching and then give you you know a yes or no match you know there's definitely some digging that you got to do when you go through and you got to kind of have your own you know call it facial recognition pick out you know features on someone's face or you know features on an image and then you know see what truly matches up as you know a possible or you know matches up as a possible match so but but yeah facial x great now now do you just have access to like albany or do you have in terms of comparison photos or is it you got access to other jurisdictions and even the state police yeah no we have the system that we use has access to it has access to booking photos from new york and neighboring states Oh, okay. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of really as far as it goes. There's definitely, mm-hmm. there's a couple systems out there that, you know, depending on um, the agency or, you know, the, the level of governance, I guess, if you want to say, mm-hmm. whether, you know, like a local, a state, a federal agency, you know, there's a def- definitely a couple different systems out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but ours is definitely a little bit more on the conservative end. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's interesting. Of course, you rarely get them looking directly in the camera. So that's always a challenge. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I know. Sometimes they make it easy for you, but not always. Let's talk about your certification. I'm aware of the New York State Crime Analysis Certification, but I'm not necessarily familiar with the process or even how it uh, contrasts to maybe either the ICA certification process or the ILEA certification process. Yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm not super familiar with ICA or ILEA's mm-hmm. certification, but mm-hmm. I, I would imagine it, it it's probably somewhat similar in certain mm-hmm. aspects. Um for New York State's, you know, it's it's a you know, I say open to the public, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely not something you can go online and take, you know, on any given day. You definitely need to have like the right contact info and get in touch with the with the right people. But when you do that, you know, I don't know if there's a fee to take it. I don't think there is, but it's a it's a multiple choice test from what I remember. I took it, you know, mm-hmm. going back three or four years ago now. It's a multiple choice test. Uh, it's probably a hundred or so odd questions. And, you know, they're really the test from what I remember is is 
really gauged at just really testing someone's knowledge on, you know, the criminal justice and law enforcement field and the criminal justice process and proceedings, as well as, you know, general intelligence and analysis capabilities. So, you know, it's definitely not supposed to be an easy test that anyone can get on there and pass, but with, you know, with a fair amount of studying and, you know, dedication to learning the material, you know, it's definitely a test that anyone trying to get into the field or, or, you know, trying to get that New York state certification should, should try and pursue. Yeah. I think I saw it on a website that you, you have to get better than a 70%, gotcha. uh, which is kind of funny because that seems like what the standard is <laughs> like just 70%. Cause I think, it, I, I think that's similar to what the IACA is and uh, ILEA is. I know, I know with the IACA there's, 19 or 20 different sections and you can't get less than 70 on any one section gotcha um, so it's a little bit different but they're neither of them are free so you got that way that going for you <laughs> yeah definitely yeah so how did you prepare so when i took the test i was actually i was employed at the time through our office you know this was mm-hmm. after i was hired so we had we had some tra- training or like studying material that you know we had just we had had in our office from previous people who have taken the test so i was able to kind of have you know more or less call it a textbook that i was able to go through and kind of you know study up on some of the material or you know, go through some areas that I wasn't, you know, as familiar or confident with. So, but it definitely, you know, it wasn't a, you know, midterm or a final for a college semester by any means, but it it definitely took some dedication, you know, a couple, a couple of weeks to study the material and get a good grasp on, you know, any type of questions that would be coming. I think when I took the IACA certification, I was like seven years removed from college. And I remember I was like, oh, it's been a long time since I've like read a textbook and yeah. took a took a test on it. So I felt I felt at a place there. I ended up passing. I tell this story. It was it was in Austin, Texas. It was at the conference, IACA conference. And I didn't tell anybody that I was taking it because oh, really? I figured I was like, if I fail, I'll, I'll be so embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> like I will be like my motiv- main motivation wasn't like achievement or it didn't get me too much in terms of my career at the police department. But my main thing was like, I just don't want to fail because I don't want to be embarrassed no. that I failed. No, I know. I hear you. It's funny. Right. You know, anyone, anyone that works in our office you know, that, that gets hired and then uh, wants to take that test, we always, it's kind of always a joke in the office. You know, they, they might leave on any given day to go, you know, out of office and take that test. And we're always, you know, we're always laughing because we're waiting for the day that someone comes back and says they failed. So oh. luckily it hasn't happened in, in a few years. We haven't had to, you know, kind of see someone get embarrassed that way, but yeah. But I know what you mean. How about unpopular opinion? This is a question I've been asking recently. It's kind of a hot take, if you have one, on the law enforcement analysis profession. Yeah, I mean, I guess if someone can, you know, kind of like right now, I guess if someone, you know, just, on, you know, kind of on the spot asked me about a hot take I have, I mean, really what comes to mind is, you know, at least in my experience, there's times where as analyst, you know, you might be working with a, you know, you're working with 
law enforcement, you know, a sworn, you know, it might be a cop, it might be a detective, it might be a sergeant, an investigator, whoever it might be. You know, I think there's times when you, you get the tendency to be a little bit more reserved in, you know, the information that you give back and, you know, kind of communicating your findings. And, you know, my hot take is, you know, you got to go for what you're seeing. You got to tell them, you got to communicate what you're seeing and you got to communicate your thoughts. You know, I think people can be a little bit reserved in, you know, telling a cop or telling a detective like, hey, I, I don't think this is your guy or, hey, I think this is your guy right here. or You know, hey, I identified your suspect vehicle, you know, kind of like I mentioned earlier, you know, as a analyst, you know, we're in that spot where we provide back the information and we let the agency we're working with determine, you know, the credibility to it. But in that same thought, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, if you do it correctly, there's no harm in telling people, you know, hey, I think this is your guy, you know, like here's the supporting data, but just so you know, like this is your guy. He did this a few years ago. This is his address, which is right by and kind of fits like the, the pattern of travel, you know, X, Y, Z. So, you know, my hot take is when you when you have something good, you know, don't be afraid to you know go direct with that law enforcement personnel and tell them. Yeah, I, I think there can be an unwritten rule that when you're at certain meetings that you're just there to observe. And not and not participate. And I've never done a good job with that. (laughs) I mean, I've definitely been told like, oh, like normally we don't have people talk, speak up like that. And and I, I think I do take more of your angle there, where is if if you're inviting me to be part of the meeting, I'm gonna contribute if if I see fit. Exactly. But I I do feel that some people are like, oh, I'm just I'm just there to observe. I'm not there to participate. So I would never I would never dare speak up. I would do it either like after the meeting or, or or through a different channel. But I would never participate in the meeting exactly yeah no i mean there's there's a time and a place for everything you know you definitely don't want to be jumping the gun and you know Mm -hmm. throwing out conversation just to do it but you know Mm -hmm. when that time comes when you're ready to go for it go for it well let's take some calls now this is don't be that supervisor which is the sequel to don't be that analyst and so these are got callers on the line they've seen certain supervisors do stuff that they really shouldn't be doing and it's funny i was trying to think if i had one this time around i did have a supervisor once that did not like the outlook or the email notifications on meetings yeah so they would turn them off and so everybody that was part of that meeting would not get a notification that a meeting is starting. Yeah. And, and it was just like, okay, that's the whole office really relies on that notification to make sure to remind them that the the meeting's coming and that particular supervisor didn't like it. So it was like, it's like a big adjustment for, for that. And it was a little, it was a little weird. It was a little inconvenient for the rest of the team. Yeah, no, I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I think it was just today. I was probably cursing out Outlook as it <laughs> delayed my emails or I was trying to delete something and the file was too big or whatnot. So, you know, I think just like anyone else, you got your Outlook issues. But, you know, a minor inconvenience like that, that you cause for everyone else in the office just because it's it's something that annoys you probably a couple times a day. You know, I definitely think that qualifies as don't be that supervisor. All right. So first on the line is Michelle. Michelle, what's some, I almost said what's some shit you heard in the office. (laughs) Wrong segment. (laughs) Michelle, what's your don't be that supervisor? Don't be that supervisor who lets things go. So if, if, there's an employee that either needs to be retrained or something that needs to be addressed. The other employees are actually watching and watching how you address problems or concerns or challenges. So as a supervisor, that is part of your role and responsibility is to go ahead and address whatever needs to be addressed. So don't be afraid to do that. You know, just maintain policy and make sure you're aware of what your roles and responsibilities are and and go ahead and take care of that as as uncomfortable as that may be yeah you know this is a lot like parenting right like if the kid sees what he or she can get away with that's there's kind of setting that boundary a little bit and you definitely can see that in the workplace from time to time if a certain uh, employee sees what he or she can get away with um other people will see that too yeah no i agree i mean this is a definitely a credible don't be that supervisor you know it's a good point you know especially if you are jumping into a new role where you know people were trained before you got there or you know Maybe certain processes or operations have changed in, you know, people require new training. It's definitely one of those things, you know, people are busy throughout the day or, you know, you have other things that you want to focus your attention on. It's, it's real easy to kind of turn the other way and kind of look the other way at someone who is either struggling or, you know, just for whatever reason, not completing the work the right way or, you know, you know, following the right procedure. So, it is one of those things, you know, if you don't get it, if you don't nip it in the butt, it can it can kind of travel <laughs> and domino effect throughout the office. So, you know, definitely, definitely a uh, good point. Yeah. Nip it in the butt is the best way to describe it. Right. Yeah. All right. Next on the line is Ashley. Ashley, what's your don't be that supervisor? Don't be that supervisor that takes all of the credit. Give credit to where it's due. And remember, when everyone else looks good that you work with, then you look good as the supervisor. Yeah, I mean, it it, is, it's, it does get a little interesting at police departments from time to time because, you know, I've been part of meetings where supervisors didn't give the analytical unit credit at all for something that was accomplished. It really irked me kind of thing. Um not that I that was one of those situations where I did not stand up and then say <laughs> say how I felt but it was you know from time to time you will get that where I'm like okay we did uh, a lot of work here and it seems like we didn't get any of the credit and you know you can say that it's you know at the end of the day it's about catching bad guys or you know the the goals of the police department but from time to time it does it it does it is upsetting to to not get the credit that's deserved yeah no i mean i think you hit it on the head kind of 
kind of exactly. I think the more, like you're saying, the more common common issue we see in that conversation is kind of like you're describing, you know, again, I, I go back to kind of how I put it earlier. It could be intentional or it could be unintentional, but mm-hmm. there are definitely times where there's an opportunity for the agency you're working with to kind of, you know, in one way or another, give you a pat on the back or, you know, kind of just recognize the work that you put into that, that, you know, it might be a case, an investigation, whatever it may be, kind of recognize recognizing the you know the credible effort that you put into it and you know it does translate into the office as well you know if if you have someone working under you that really you know goes above and beyond and you know they do what they're asked to and and kind of support whatever they're being asked to support you know you know you kind of got to give that that positive reinforcement you know you did your job you did what you were asked to do and and you know here's your credit here's your you know, recognition of, of what you did. You know, I, I think it definitely plays a, a key part in the office and, you know, kind of developing that, you know, that analyst capabilities. Next on the line is Josie. Josie, what's your don't be that supervisor? Don't be that supervisor that doesn't understand what your analyst does. Take the opportunity to learn about their position so you can better support them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was at the Cincinnati Police Department, uh, they would rotate captains, and there was a sworn captain over the IT staff. And when that happened, it was always IT was like, oh, we got to train a new one. Like they got to train the captain on what they do and how they do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of this one. You know, I, I definitely agree. If you're supervising someone, you should know how they do their job. And, you know, there's, you know, you might jump into a new position, a new supervisory spot that you did not do the work beforehand, which is okay. You know, that's, that's, that can be the case sometimes, but you have to, you know, take that initiative to get yourself up to speed and get yourself caught up with the work that they're doing, you know. I'm a big proponent. If you're asking someone to do something and to do it the right way, you know, you you have to know how to do it and how to do it the right way, the way that you want it done in the way. And so I think this one definitely, definitely hits home. Next on the line is Jessica. Jessica, what's your don't be that supervisor? Don't be that supervisor that asks for an 80 hour analysis report and you need it in one hour. Yeah, we don't have an easy button. Um And that kind of gets frustrating to me, too, because I think sometimes I supervisors have a tendency to be all about speed and not necessarily about not that they're giving out wrong information. But I do I do feel that there's sometimes opportunity for the whole team to build and to allow newbies to get trained on certain stuff. But if you're just focused on, you know, getting out the answer as quickly as possible no matter what then it it, it kind of doesn't allow the whole team to rise yeah no i agree it's definitely something that you know at least from my personal experience i've run into with you know different agencies that we work with you know they don't you know someone might not always understand the amount of legwork that goes into producing a report or producing a document and sometimes it is not you know reasonably requested in a in a in a workable time frame but that also kind of speaks to at least in in my my experience, the nature in which some requests for products or information kind of travels downhill. You know, you might get a request from a police department from, you know, kind of the command staff that 
you know, comes down the chain of command and, you know, for better or worse, they're asking for that product in this time frame. And, you know, you might be busy that day. You might have a couple different things going on. And, you know, maybe sometimes you won't be able to get it done in that time frame, but sometimes maybe you can, you know, it's all about prioritizing and, you know, as a supervisor kind of delegating where you can, but also jumping in and providing that helping hand. So definitely one of those battles that, you know, it, it's a challenge that you kind of, I, I think any analyst or, you know, person working analysis or intelligence probably deals with on a, a pretty regular basis. And our last caller is Kristen. Kristen, what's your don't be that supervisor? Don't be that supervisor that micromanages so much that your analyst doesn't have room to be creative and develop resources that you guys need to help. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I want to meet somebody that says I'm a macro manager and proud of it. And this is why I do it this way. <laughs> it's yeah. one, of, it's yeah. one of those things that like you hear from time to time someone say, oh, well, he or she's a micromanager. But you, you never hear anybody actually say like, yep, <laughs> I am. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? Maybe maybe I'll be that first one to say that I might have some micromanaging tendencies because at least if you ask some of the analysts in our office, I think they would tell you that. So, you know, at least from my standpoint, it, it definitely comes from a place of, you know, just wanting to produce that that information the best way possible. And, you know, I think sometimes you do kind of got to be a micromanager because, you know, that information that you're pushing out to a police department or a law enforcement agency, you know, it, it has to be correct. So I think there's some cases where micromanaging isn't a bad thing, but you know, kind of as the caller put, you know, you got to allow room to grow and you got to allow room for people to make mistakes and, you know, learn from those mistakes. So, you know, I, I guess I'll kind of stay on the fence here that there's a, <laughs> a best of both worlds. Yeah, well, we went office. We, I, I was in, we, we had fish. <laughs> the one fish was called Mike and the other one was Roe <laughs> for the manager. <laughs> And, I like that. And so, yeah, so if you get, that. if that'll be your signal, if you, if you see fish and the, that's their name, that's, that's their, your analyst subtly telling you that you're a micromanager, right? Yep. All right. I'll, I'll keep on the lookout for that. <laughs> so that is don't be that supervisor. If you have a don't be that supervisor, let us know by emailing us at LEA podcasts at gmail.com. All right, Pete, let's finish up with personal interest then. You're in New York, so I know you hibernate most of the winter, but we're in the yeah. summertime now. So you're a, a golfer. And so I guess, do you just play just to have fun or do you actually have a handicap? I have a handicap, but I don't really think that that really warrants much consideration, especially <laughs> at the moment. It definitely hasn't been a great, great summer for that. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I mean, if the weather cooperates, you know, during the summer, spring, fall, you know, you'll definitely find me out either on a golf course or, you know, um, I have a lot of family in the area. So does my wife. You know, you might find mm -hmm. us with our family or with our friends at a brewery or whatnot. So that's definitely kind of what the summer looks like. As you mentioned, winters can be a much different story, you know, when there's yeah. two feet of snow on the ground or a foot of snow and it's, you know, 
10 below zero, you were definitely inside, probably huddled around a bottle of booze or a bottle of wine, you know, watching Netflix or something. So <laughs> that's kind of what the winter looks like. And it's, it's usually a countdown to when that weather is going to leave and, and come spring. Yeah. Now, it is funny that you mentioned drinking because, I mean, uh, drinking and golfing go kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. So I just, yeah, yeah. Why, you know, I, I, I mostly try to have fun when I go out, even though I'm ridiculously hard on myself, but I do enjoy being outside and I do enjoy just, you know, drinking with folks and and BSing. So it's, it is a, it is a nice time to, to get out and and, and on the links. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Good way. Yeah. Now, do you watch professional golf at all? Oh yeah. 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 Almost religiously. I mean, especially during season or I should say, especially during summer when I'm in like golf season, uh-huh. uh, golf is usually on the TV. Let's see, Thursday to Sundays from three to <laughs> seven or eight o'clock at night when that week's tournament is going on. So yeah. sometimes I get vetoed by my wife or she'll <laughs> just, you know, rage, turn the TV off. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely a, a big, big watcher as well. Now, do you watch any of the live tour? I watched a little bit here and there. I have started to see it on TV a little bit more regularly now. I'll turn it on every now and then, but I, I definitely am staying faithful to the PGA Tour. Curious to see what happens and how things shake out with this merger between PGA and Liv. Um, yeah. I think that could result in some good and some bad, but it'll it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, that that is, I mean, I get back to watching it. I don't. I used to watch it a lot, golf, and I don't watch that much anymore. And but I'll admit, it was uh, about a month ago. I happened to just turn on the TV and was flipping through the channels, and there was a PGA event on and a Live Tour event going on, and I did not know any of the names on the leaderboard of the PGA. Yeah. Like I could, I could not identify all of them. Now, least with the live tour one, when I went over there, I was like, oh, well, I at least recognize some of these names and this little bit of different, this team format thing is a little bit different, but I was watching that because I recognized the names. Like they're the one I didn't have any idea who those people were. Yeah. So. Know what you mean? I've I've definitely had that happen once or twice too, and I'd be lying if I didn't say you know there's definitely some draw to watching those bigger names, those names that you're a little bit more familiar with, you know, even if they all are at that live event. But you know, yeah, but I the, definitely that... try and stay faithful to to the PGA, you know, yeah. just that, that tradition, that like kind of historic behind, you know, the PGA tour and everything that goes into it. So, yeah. And I guess they were just, they were testifying in front of Congress today on, yeah, yeah. on, on that. So that was, it's so, it's so weird. Cause it's like, Oh, we only agreed to come up with an agreement. We don't actually have an agreement. <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of seems like how it is what is this like why was any of this leaked and oh man it's gonna be it's it's really messy it does get a little bit crazy and political because a lot of those a lot of those guys that went to live tour was were criticized for you know doing business with saudi arabia but there's a lot of businesses that do business with saudi arabia the u.s government does business with saudi arabia so i don't know why those uh, those particular golfers were criticized but that's a 
That's a, it's a yeah, it's it's a conversation that can go around and round. All right, Pete. Well, our last segment to the show is words to the world, and this is where I give the guests the last word. You can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? My words to the world, you know, I guess just find something you love doing and stick with it. You know, that's kind of that's kind of how I've worked out the last few years in this spot in my current job. You know, as a as, you know working with you know crime analysts and intelligence, you know, working with a bunch of different agencies, working with federal agencies, you know, a few years ago, I definitely didn't see myself still in this role. And, you know, I stuck with it. And I definitely am glad I am. So, you know, I found something I love doing and I stuck with it and I, and I like what's going with it. So, you know, that's that's my word to the world. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you. You've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on the show, Pete. Thank yeah, you so it. much. And you be safe. All right. Thanks. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.